Hello, this is Alistair welcoming you to the 2344th edition of the Enfield Talking newspaper. Dateline 25th of May 2023. The readers this week are Alistair, Chris, Ian and Ruth with Haas on the controls. Editing, production and distribution is by the team. Our title music is Country Rock Polka, composed by Pat Prilly, Fernand Bouillon, Harry Brewer, and is performed by Jean-Jacques Perry and is used with his kind permission. The local news stories that we will be reading come from the Enfield Dispatch and are their copyright. For the week beginning the 22nd of May, the sunrise time is 0501, and the sunset time is 2056. Do get in touch with us to share your own news and special announcements. We'd love to hear from you. If you have any comments about the Enfield Talking newspaper, please phone Diane to Jersey on 07899854582. She is your listener's representative and will be pleased to help you. Now, Chris will read the lead story. Food Bank warns it's only going to get worse. By James Cracknell and Noah Vickers, local democracy reporter. Food banks in Enfield are struggling to cope with demand amid the highest rise in food prices for 45 years with some reporting a fourfold increase in as many months. Inflation remains in double digits, but thanks to the rising cost of buying food and drink, with these prices rising nearly 20% in a single year, while an escalating homelessness crisis in Enfield has actually exacerbated the issue locally. More and more people in employment are now showing up at the borough's food banks and other food services, local providers have said. With 200 homeless families in Enfield holed up in hotels, many also do not have cooking facilities and are therefore in need of hot meals instead of tins and packets of uncooked food. Dion John is the coordinator of Enfield Food Alliance, a network of 30 local organisations providing food support locally. She told the dispatch, People are reluctant to take certain types of food because they're thinking about how they will heat it up or cook it. Increased numbers are coming from hotels where they have no access to cooking facilities. The voluntary sector is now being asked to provide hot meals rather than just the usual groceries. We need to have a clear understanding as a borough of how we are going to deal with it. Dion added that she wants more local organisations providing food to struggling families to be involved in coming up with solutions. Being able to use empty premises to provide pop-up food provision could be one answer, she says. 
Cooking Champions is a social enterprise which provides food parcel deliveries and free weekly hot lunches from their kitchen in Ponder's End. Founder Claire Donovan said their rate of referrals had risen by 300% between November 2022 and March this year. More people that are working are struggling, she told the dispatch. There is just this stigma that people should just work more hours or get better jobs instead of using food banks. But that is not the reality for people. They have feelings of guilt and shame. They feel they have failed. We are getting more cases of people suffering mental health issues such as depression and addiction. We started Cooking Champions to help people during the COVID-19 lockdown, but there is no sign of this situation improving. It is only getting worse. Claire added that they have been forced to change their operation at Cooking Champions to now provide food for people on a limited four-week rotation to manage the influx of referrals and continue to ensure everyone at least gets some form of help. Cooking Champions relies on donations and is currently appealing for people who can support them with a monthly £5 donation, which covers the cost of providing an individual with weekly food parcels for four weeks. Meanwhile, a report on food poverty published by the London Assembly weekend. Mayor Sadaki Khan, sorry, Sadiq Khan, pledged to provide free school meals to all London primary school children throughout the next academic year, but warned a long-term solution to the problem of food security was also needed. The report calls on Khan to work with the government and local councils to expand free school meals once his own funding comes to an end and urges the government to restore the £20 uplift of universal credit. Lib Dem Assembly member Heiner Bokhari said, Food security is not a new phenomenon for households and low incomes but the current cost-of-living emergency is making this situation much worse for many Londoners. A Department for Work and Pensions spokesperson said, We are committed to protecting the most vulnerable, which is why we have uprated benefits, including universal credit, by 10.1% this month, April and have provided more than £94 billion over 2022-23 and 2023-24 to help people with their higher bills, an average of over 3300 per household. Bank given listed status for World First. Barclays Bank in Enfield Town has been given a Grade 2 heritage listing thanks to its claim a world first. The bank launched the first, the world's first automated teller machine ATM on the 27th of June 1967 and boasts a blue plaque celebrating its place in history as a result. 
Comedian Reg Varney, an Enfield resident at the time, was the first person to use it. This week it was announced by Historic England that the Barclays Bank building in the town has now been listed and added to the National Heritage List, protecting it from future development. Sarah Gibson, listing team leader at Historic England, said, Cash machines are now such a normal part of our daily lives, but it was on, in this elegant bank building in a North London suburb that this new, groundbreaking technology was tested and went on to change the world. It is extraordinary to think how much has changed since 1967 when it comes to everyday banking. Whilst our use of cash has fallen in recent years, as contactless technology dominates, it still remains a lifeline to many, and I'm glad to see this building recognised for its contribution to that story of money evolution. The bank building entry on the National Heritage List for England recognises both its historic and architectural significance. The purpose-built bank, originally a branch of the London and Provincial, is a strong work of late 19th century commercial architecture. Built in 1897, it stands on a prominent corner of Enfield Charter Market and its exterior remains largely unaltered. The bank was designed by William Gilby Scott in a style described by architectural historian Nikolaus Pesner as exuberant Flemish Renaissance. Made of red brick with stone dressings and prominent gables, it is topped by a decorative cupola and a small spire. Although the original cash machine at the bank has long since been replaced, a blue plaque was unveiled in 2017 at the spot where it was installed to mark the 50th anniversary. Barclays also turned one of its current cash machines gold. Being open about dementia... Enfield Dementia Action Alliance and Alzheimer's Society are teaming up to encourage people in the borough with concerns about their memory to seek an assessment ahead of Dementia Action Week this month. The Alliance is hosting events for people affected by dementia and to raise awareness among the general public about the importance of confronting symptoms when they appear shining a light on the work done by Enfield's dementia friends and providing residents with the information to help them plan for the future. The Dementia Friends programme, led by the Alzheimer's Society, is the biggest ever programme to change perceptions of dementia. It aims to transform the way the nation acts, thinks and talks about the condition and, since launching in 2013, more than three and a half million people across the UK have joined to create change in their communities. From taxi drivers to hairdressers, the bus company to the newsagent, everyone can identify things they can do to support those with dementia to continue living as independently as possible. That is why the Dementia Friends programme is crucial. An Alzheimer's Society survey showed three out of five people with dementia wish they had got a diagnosis sooner, and 23% in, in London lived with the condition for more than two years after first noticing symptoms before diagnosis. Denial is a big reason why people put off seeking a memory assessment, with 42% of Londoners with the disease admitting to, to choosing to ignore worrying signs. 
but being diagnosed with dementia at an early stage gives you the chance to adjust and unlock the door to things you need, such as access to practical guidance, legal advice or financial support. Memory loss is not just a normal part of ageing, as many assume. Nine in ten people with dementia say they benefited from getting a diagnosis. There are almost 80,000 living with dementia in the capital, and while it mainly affects people over 65, around 1 in 20 people with dementia are under 65. LTN boundary road traffic increases understated due to software issues. Enfield Council has blamed software issues for undercounting slow-moving vehicles during a low-traffic neighbourhood LTN trial. The council has admitted traffic moving below 6.2 miles per hour in congested roads had not been recorded following the introduction of the Fox Lane LTN because the software update had changed the setting of its traffic counters. After re-running the data to account for the slow-moving vehicles, the council said it changed the result from a 5.7% rise in traffic on boundary roads to an 8% increase. But this did not alter the original decision to make the project permanent. LTNs were introduced by the council to tackle air pollution and stop drivers rat running through residential streets. But the schemes have proved divisive, with opponents claiming they merely push traffic and pollution onto boundary roads. A report published by the Council in November stated that the undercounting issue arose from an incorrect default setting applied to the contractor's equipment when the baseline data was collected in 2019. The revised data, taken to correct the error, showed increases in 24-hour traffic flows on boundary roads ranging from 4% in Alderman's Hill to 15% in Southgate High Street. Conservative Councillor Maria Alexandru, Shadow Cabinet Member for Climate Change, says she believes the council would still have gone ahead with the LTN even if the increase was higher than 8% because it has an anti-car agenda. They, the council, do not want to discuss it anymore, she added, They say it's done. Figures obtained by Councillor Alexandru reveals the council has now received more than £4.6 million from fines issued in camera-enforced roads in LTNs since the schemes were introduced. A council spokesman said quieter neighbourhoods, LTNs, are about making our streets cleaner and quieter for our residents and encouraging people to find alternative ways to travel around the borough. Given this, a range of factors were considered when making the Fox Lane quieter neighbourhood permanent. Our contractor explained that software issues happened in 2019, before the council started the project, and further data was collected in 2021. This highlighted an 8% rise following an implementation, which the Council concluded did not alter the original decision to make the project permanent. The Council, along with other local authorities across the UK, continues to use traffic count data alongside other 
monitor monitoring techniques in order to build an overall picture of the impacts of particular projects. Council set to decommission Edmonton Tower Blocks after residents vote to leave. Two Edmonton Tower Blocks, where gas supplies had to be switched off over safety fears, are set to be taken out of use and likely demolished. Senior councillors agreed to decommission Cheshire House and Shropshire House at Shire's Estate, Edmonton, after more than three-quarters of residents who responded to a survey said they wanted to leave the estate. The council plans to rehouse residents within a year and pledged to start discussions as soon as possible with leaseholders to ensure the timely buyback of their properties. Built in the 1960s, using the cut-price large panel method of construction, the two 18-storey tower blocks failed structural safety tests carried out following the Grenfell Tower tragedy and were deemed to be at risk of collapse in the event of a gas explosion. The council previously planned to connect both blocks to its district heat network, Energetic, and the date for switching off the gas supply was extended from June this year to January next year. But in November, the gas supply to Cheshire House had to be cut off urgently after a leak was discovered. The council subsequently announced it planned to switch off the supply to Cheshire Shropshire House by the end of February. The Civic Centre's handling of the safety issues has been heavily criticised by Conservative opposition councillors, who previously called on Cabinet Member for Housing, George Sava, to quit over the issue, as well as Edmonton's Labour MP, Kate Osamore. During a Cabinet meeting last month, members of the Council's Labour administration agreed to decommission the blocks subject to the safe rehousing of all residents. According to a council report, there are almost 200 people currently living in the blocks. The decision, which is subject to a call-in from the Overview and Scrutiny Committee, came after a four-week engagement exercise carried out during February and March found 76% of the 115 residents who responded wanted to leave the estate and only 11% wanted to stay. Many expressed the need for significant repairs, highlighting mould, damp and leakages throughout their properties, while other concerns included a significant increase in antisocial behaviour. Council reports state that keeping the blocks in a state of safe repair over 30 years would cost around £53 million, with a £40 million needing to be spent during the next three years. This would place a considerable financial burden on leaseholders 
and reduce funds available to be invested in other council homes. Moving people out and decommissioning the blocks would cost significantly less, estimated at £16.2 million, and was said to be the only viable and feasible option. The council says dedicated officers will be deployed to support residents to identify their housing options and to help them move home, with priority given to the most vulnerable who may need extra support. It has pledged to provide access to legal and surveying costs associated with buybacks for leaseholders who will also be helped to move. Councillor Sava told last month's meeting that the report would provide residents with certainty about the future and protect the investment for the rest of homes across the borough. He added that demolition of the blocks would be considered. Joanne Drew, the councillor's director of housing and regeneration, said officers were very confident that the residents of the blocks had understood the options, pointing out that during the engagement exercise, literature had been translated into the languages of those who did not speak English. Cut to affordable homes at council-owned Meridian Water Sites, absolute disgrace. Enfield Council insists 40% of total homes at Regeneration Site will still be designated as affordable. The leader of Enfield Council insists that plans for Meridian Water have not changed, despite a new report showing a reduction of homes on council-owned sites with a lower percentage of affordable housing. The council leader said plans for a flagship Edmonton regeneration scheme remain the same, including a pledge to build 10,000 homes in total and ensure 40% of these are classed as affordable. But an updated financial model indicates the number of affordable homes set to be built on council-owned sites at Meridian Water had dropped from the 3,846 forecast in 2019 to 3,569, now being forecast in 2023. The loss of 277 affordable homes from the new financial model was branded an absolute disgrace by the Conservative leader, who also criticised what he claimed was slow progress on the regeneration scheme. But during a Cabinet meeting last month, the acting director of the Meridian Water Project, Penny Halliday, emphasised that the report referred to the council-owned land only and claimed that the authority remained on track to exceed the 40% affordable housing target because the master plan included third-party sites currently owned by IKEA and Tesco. Penny explained that there has been an increase in non-residential floor space to maximise the quality employment and commercial space to ensure that we get those quality jobs available for our local people. The report explains that the scheme's new financial model has had to be revised following the unprecedented inflation that has been caused by Covid, Brexit and other global and domestic events which have pushed up construction costs. 
it states that the 2019 financial model assumed that 702 homes would be built on the car park of the Swedish furniture company IKEA, which owns a now-closed store within the regeneration zone. It adds that this site has a capacity for 2,000 homes, meaning that the council's overall target of 10,000 homes at Meridian Water could well be exceeded. IKEA is expected to advertise the site for sale during this autumn, and the report acknowledges that it could be bought by an organisation that does not share the council's development aims. The council plans to reduce this risk by a positive regular dialogue with the IKEA management team. The report also reveals plans to market four developed sites within the regeneration zone this year, while the 10-year capital spending at Meridian Water is set to rise from $326 million to $368 million, with $202 million of this being funded by borrowing. Construction works funded by $170 million from the Government's Housing Infrastructure Fund have been unable to start on site, however, as inflation means the schemes could not be delivered within the funding envelope. The Council is now lobbying the Government for extra cash. It adds that the Meridian Water Master Plan has gone through several versions since 2018 and will continue to evolve. However, the Council still gave no details when the new Master Plan would be published. The only published version of the Master Plan was approved in July 2013, when the scheme was expected to be half of its current size and there have been repeated calls to make the updated version public. Councillor Giorgio said that the Conservatives believe that the Council was downplaying the amount of capital spending required over the next 10 years. He also suggested that the administration was holding back information on Meridian Water, including assumptions that lie behind the capital programme. In response, Councillor Kaliskan said that the Council's plans for a Meridian Water remain the same and will deliver even more affordable homes on Council land than previously planned for, with just under 10,000 new homes at 40% affordable levels. An Extraordinary Story of Goodwill by Nick South This is the story of a raffle with a difference. Or to be precise, 53 raffles, each with the prize of a large Easter egg donated by Edmonton Rotary Club. Apart from a gap caused by the pandemic, this project has been running for 10 years. Like many ongoing projects, it began as an intended one-off. The original idea was to donate one huge egg to the children's ward at North Middlesex Hospital, says Chandu Patel, the mastermind behind the current annual event. A seven kilo egg was made, especially for us, by a master chef. The children thought it was wonderful, but there was far too much chocolate even for a ward full of children to consume. You can imagine what a mess they made. A lot of the egg was wasted and had to be thrown away. That was in 2009. A few years later, with a similar budget, Chandu introduced a new version of the scheme. We felt the money could be made to go further, so instead of one seven-kilo egg, we opted for seven one-kilo eggs, each of which we gave to a local primary school. Each school would then raise its own funds by raffling the egg. 
It worked. Success breeds popularity, and word soon got around. Each year there were more and more schools wanting to take part, not to mention scout and guide groups. But how could we satisfy the growing demand without the cost spiralling? Chandu continues the story. We talked to local businesses such as Jemka Toyota, restaurants and pubs such as the Beehive and the Winchmore, where we hold our weekly meetings, to ask if they would each raffle an egg on our behalf. We provided the egg, a poster, raffle tickets and a collecting pot. The money these sponsors raise comes back to the Rotary and is used to buy the Easter eggs the following year. In this way, the project became self-funding. However, increasing demand means that we now need more sponsors to help us cover the cost of the eggs. We bought 53 this year. Sourcing outsized Easter eggs can be a challenge. Even though 53 kilos of chocolate might sound like a lot, it was too small an order to interest the major manufacturers. Until last year, the eggs were supplied by a small company in Italy, but this is no longer viable due to shipping delays. Fortunately, we found an alternative supplier in Kent, and this year's eggs were made in the UK. They're 50% bigger too. Let's end the story where it began. We haven't forgotten the children at North Middlesex Hospital. Each year we donate to the hospital enough standard-sized chocolate eggs for each child on Starlight Ward to receive their own rotary Easter egg. Council refuses to back down over cashless parking. Enfield Council has refused to back down in response to a letter from Michael Gove calling on the local authority to continue allowing cash payments for parking. The council is pressing ahead with the removal of its parking metres despite a backlash from drivers who say they will struggle to pay if they don't have a smartphone. Fears have arisen that the move will lead to digital exclusion for elderly drivers who struggle with new technology. As Enfield and other councils have made moves to axe cash payments, Secretary of State Michael Gove last month wrote to all local authorities asking them to continue providing a means to pay for parking using cash. However, it remains unclear what powers could be used by Gove, who runs the Department for Leveling Up Housing and Communities, to stop parking metres being ripped out. In his letter to Enfield and other councils, Gove wrote, All local authorities have existing statutory duties to ensure that they do not discriminate in their decision-making against older people or those with vulnerabilities. Cash remains legal tender and it will continue to be used in our daily lives by people who favour its accessibility and ease. I am therefore concerned that local authorities should ensure that there are alternative provisions for parking, payments, available so that no part of society is digitally excluded. This is, of course, important for many areas in preserving the accessibility of our high streets and town centres for all the public. An Enfield Council spokesman told... An Enfield Council spokesperson stood by the original statement given to the dispatch in February to justify the removal of parking metres in the borough when they said the local authority wanted to reduce the amount of street furniture on the borough's pavements 
and that cashless parking methods were now being used more. The council spokesperson reiterated that drivers still had the option to buy parking scratch cards in advance or pay in shops displaying the pay point sign. However, concerns have also now been raised that too few shops in the borough are signed up to the pay point scheme. Alessandro Giorgio, leader of the opposition conservative group at Enfield Civic Centre, told the dispatch that at least two paypoint shops were needed in every town centre for cashless parking to work effectively. And this was not currently the case. Cock Foster's only has one paypoint shop, located half a mile from the start of its main shopping area, while Oakwood has none whatsoever. The Green in Winchmore Hill also only has one paypoint shop as does a shopping area around Arnos Grove Station. Where Transport for London recently removed its own parking facilities ahead of a residential development on the station's car parks. On the council's decision to scrap all its parking meters, Councillor Giorgio said, Quite frankly, this is a disgraceful decision which will increase the digital divide between residents that have smartphones and are able to use them and those that don't. Thank you. I must admit, I'm still thinking about those chocolate Easter eggs. <laughs> Labour wins by-election. Labour retained one of its two seats in Bullsmore Ward following a by-election prompted by a councillor's resignation. Destiny Caracus was elected to represent Bullsmore alongside existing Labour councillor Kate Anna-Louis. It followed the resignation of Erin Goons in March for personal reasons. While both Labour and the Conservatives increased their vote share in the ward compared with last year's borough-wide local election, the Tories managed to reduce the gap between the parties from 21.4 percentage points in 2022 to 19.6 points now. This came at the expense of the Green, Liberal Democrat and Trade Unionist and Socialist Coalition candidates who all saw their vote share decline. Newly elected Councillor Caracus said she was proud to become the youngest Labour councillor in Enfield and added, thank you, to all comrades who helped and residents who voted. In her pitch for votes prior to the by-election, Councillor Caracous has said she was passionate about making Enfield cleaner, greener and safer and would prioritise tackling fly-tipping, antisocial behaviour and creating opportunities for young people. Despite Tory candidate Christine Bellas coming up short, Conservative group leader Alessandro Giorgio claimed the Bullsmore by-election still saw a positive result for his party and said, as far as I'm concerned, this is a brilliant result for Conservatives in Enfield and if, elect rep and if replicated at the next council election in 2026 we would win. 
So here are the results. Destiny Karakus, Labour Party, 55.8% of the votes. Christine Bellas, Conservative Party, 36.2% of the votes. Isabel Whitaker, Green Party, 4.3% of the votes. Tim Martin, Liberal Democrat Party, 2.6% of the vote. And John Noland, Trade Unionists and Socialist Coalition, 1.1% of the votes. The turnout was 25.84%. Cash boost for historic schools restoration. A project to restore a 230-year-old former school building in Edmonton Green and turn it into a community hub has taken a big step forward after being awarded nearly £325,000. The Grade 2 listed Edmonton Charity School in Church Street first opened as a girls' school in 1793 but has lain derelict for a decade but plans are now being drawn up to reopen the building for the community. The Life in Community project comprises of a number of groups interested in restoring the building along with its adjacent school mistress's cottage and has now secured a first-round National Lottery Heritage Fund grant of 289000 plus a further 33000 from the Architectural Heritage Fund. If a second round lottery bid is successful, the project will then be fully funded with £1.8 million. Led by London's Historic Building Trust and Enfield-based Learning for Life charity, the project aims to bring the school buildings back to their former glory and enable them to become an education space once more. Proposals include providing learning and training opportunities for young people in Enfield who are disadvantaged. The project will also benefit the wider community through the creation of a local hub. Over the next 15 months, further design work and surveys will take place before a planning application is submitted. If permission is granted, it's hoped to complete the work by 2026. Georgina Naylor, chair of LHBT, said, We are very pleased that this important project is making good progress and this is down to a truly collaborative effort involving our great partners and the really important involvement of the local community. René Florentuza from LFLH said, We are very excited to collaborate with the London Historic Buildings Trust to restore this special building in Edmonton and create an innovative community space that provides much-needed training and employment opportunities for all young people in Enfield. Edmonton Charity School is currently on the Historic England's at-risk register. Its restoration has been in the works for several years, with the LHBT and LFLC receiving support from Enfield Council and the Enfield Society to help take their proposal forward. A public consultation has also been held to discuss what features this restored building might include. The wait goes on for the borough's big housing schemes to deliver. 
Work on a major development of 1,800 homes has yet to begin, two and a half years after being approved, while another big scheme in the borough faces a legal challenge. The redevelopment of the Coliseum Retail Park in Southbury is one of several large schemes with planning permission in Enfield that have yet to begin construction. Another is the plan to redevelopment redevelop Edmonton Green Shopping Centre to provide more than 1,400 homes, which is now facing a legal challenge from the supermarket chain Asda. It comes as Enfield Council continues to face added pressure to approve new residential schemes after failing to meet its house-building targets. After the Council's planning committee approved the Coliseum scheme in September 2020, the Civic Centre granted formal planning permission to developers BlackRock and Neat Developments in July 2021. Set to provide a series of housing blocks between 6 and 29 storeys tall, the development was criticised for being too dense and providing only 30% affordable homes, below the Council's 40% target. But the only sign of progress is the relocation of B&Q from the Coliseum Retail Park to the neighbouring Enfield Retail Park in December last year. Although the reasons for the hold-up are not known and the developers have not commented, the construction sector has been hit by significant price inflation over the last year. The Edmonton Green Shopping Centre scheme will see the existing 1960s-era malls demolished to make way for new shops and tower blocks up to 30 storeys high. Despite being approved by the Council's planning committee in December 2021, formal planning permission was only granted for the developer Cross Tree Real Estate Partners in November 2022. <coughs> But a council report has now revealed supermarket chain Asda has applied for a judicial review of the decision, with a court hearing due to take place on the 27th of June. Asda has declined to comment, but plans for the redevelopment include the demolition of an access road and parking ramp serving the car park on the roof of the supermarket. The council's planning report states Asda objected to the loss of car parking and lack of certainty over its reprovision. It said it would have a significant impact on Asda customers and trading performers. A council spokesperson said, there are com- These are complex projects, often requiring other consents and permissions to be obtained. Both developments will be delivered over many years, and council officers remain in regular contact with both developers. The council acknowledges the difficulties posed by the current economic climate and rising construction costs. Other Enfield schemes where work has yet to commence include the Southgate Office Village scheme set to provide 216 homes, approved via appeal in December 2021. Plans for 148 flats in Green Street, Brimsdown, approved by Planning Committee in January 2021, and the redevelopment of a former gas holder in New Southgate to provide 182 homes, approved by Planning Committee in December 2021. The developers from all the schemes mentioned were approached for comment. In sport, Towners miss out on playoffs after disappointing end to season. For so long it promised so much only to end in abject disappointment. Enfield Town's season came to a hugely disheartening end last month as they failed to reach the Isthmian Premier League playoffs after being in pole position for all but a few weeks of the campaign. 
A year after the anguish of being beaten in the playoff semi-finals, Town's goal of at least getting that far again was blown away in the final stages of the season when they took only three points from a possible 18 to end up in ninth position. And understandably downcast Andy Lease, who has managed Town for six years, said, You can't sugarcoat it. We haven't been good enough from perhaps the early part of February. It's sad because in the end it's a difference of a few points. There's a whole myriad of reasons why we've messed it up and it's tough to take. As a supporter-owned club, Enfield don't have the resources of some of the other clubs in the division, many of whom didn't make the playoffs either. But apart from a few days in December, Town had been in the top five since the end of September, only to be pushed out of the playoff positions in early April. It's a collective thing, and I'm not just looking at the players, Lise said of the sudden capitulation. It has to start with me and the management team. I still maintain we have a squad that should be in the top five. I can only apologise to the supporters because we put ourselves in a great position. Maybe last season we overachieved a bit. I'm not sure, but we came off the standards that I set and it's bitterly disappointing. No one can fault the management and players for their commitment and enthusiasm, but how many of the current squad will be around next season remains to be seen. Every summer sees a turnover of players at most clubs, whatever their status, and there will be a considerable amount of stock-taking and planning in the weeks ahead. Chairman Paul Reed said, We have a lot to be proud of as a football club. We will do all we can this summer to make sure that we are well-placed to have the best possible campaign this season. On a positive note, the final game of the season was followed by the club's annual awards ceremony. Goalkeeper, goalkeeper Nathan MacDonald picked up two prizes, Supporters Player of the Year and Players Player for a series of outstanding saves. Adam Gunnington won the management's player of the season, while Mar Marcus Wiley took the Young Player Award. Striker Jake Cass took the Golden Boot Award for his 18 league goals, while Ian Hamilton won the Club Person of the Year Award, having been an invaluable volunteer in a variety of different roles. Shortly before going to press, Enfield Town FC announced they and manager Andy Lease had agreed to part company with immediate effect. Paul Reed said, I would like to thank Andy and his staff for all of their efforts during his time at the club. He's given us many highs and fantastic performances, putting together a team that our supporters could be proud of. Andy has always proven himself to be an honourable, hard-working and talented manager who has constantly had the best interests of the club at heart. On a personal level, we have enjoyed an excellent working relationship and I truly appreciate his enormous contribution to our club over the past six seasons. Work to refill boating pond in Palmer's Green. Broomfield Park's boating pond is set to be repaired after years of sitting empty because of a broken pump. 
The pond has sat dry since 2020 when blocked pipes prevented it being refilled from, refilled from a nearby borehole, while the pump was also later found to be faulty. Last year, Enfield Council warned that restoring and refilling the pond would require significant investment, but has now confirmed it will be funded through grants and council funds. Kim Lumley, co-chair of the Friends of Broomfield Park Group, said, We do hope and expect to see the pond filled with fresh water from the natural aquifer this summer. Construction Skills Academy A Construction Skills Academy has opened at Meridian Water, with more than 500 students now set to be trained there each year. Enfield Construction Skills Academy has been delivered by Enfield Council with Countryside Partnerships and Capital City College Group, CCCG, and has started to accept students and will always and also provide opportunities for local people hoping to gain the skills and qualifications needed for a career in construction. Courses will be led by the College of Haringey, Enfield and North East London, Connell, which is part of the CCCG. And there will be a focus on teaching sustainable construction methods and how to improve energy efficiency in buildings. Apprenticeships will also be available in different areas such as carpentry, plumbing, brickwork and thermal insulation. The new academy building features a reception area, canteen, offices, visitor centre, classrooms, workshops and an external outside area. Looking ahead to a new season at Enfield Cricket Club, James Quinlan previews another summer of cricket in Lincoln Road. Spring only means one thing for some people, the start of the cricket season. While this year it meant long sleeve jumpers, rain delays and green wickets, there was a real sense of anticipation built ahead of the first ball being bowled. Enfield Cricket Club is based in a fantastic ground on the corner of Lincoln Road and Wellington Road and has been around for nearly 170 years. The club was the founding member of the Middlesex County Cricket League and has won a number of trophies, including multiple league titles, the National Cup in 1988 and most recently the Middlesex Cup in 2016. For the 2023 season, we are once again aiming to reach as high as possible. The first 11, captained by Tony Sayers, unfortunately suffered relegation to the second division last season, but the players are ready to bounce back. It has been a positive uh, winter, winter with some new faces joining the fold and a welcome return of talented Australian overseas player Connor Brown. Our second eleven has new leadership with James Ryan and Callum Wick, both of whom came through our junior section, aiming to build on positive results at the end of last season. Again, some new faces have joined the squad uh, this winter, creating greater competition for places, something that can only benefit the club. The third eleven continues to be skippered by Zishan Munir, who has worked hard to develop the side and give opportunities to youngsters to experience competitive senior cricket, a hugely important aspect, third eleven cricket. Last season, the side added a number of players who will return this year. 
Jisham and Vice-Captain Adnan Zamir are aiming to improve consistency and, if that is achieved, the side can push for promotion. The club also has a growing junior cult section, supporting and developing both boys and girls aged 5 to 18 years. These youngsters are coached by a team of dedicated and highly qualified coaches and play competitive matches on weekday evenings. Enfield CC aspires to achieve success across the board, but we also place great emphasis on a strong social and family-friendly focus with inclusivity at its heart. Everyone should have an opportunity to enjoy cricket as a player, official, spectator or proud parent. And now, a really uplifting story to conclude this edition. Performers from Chicken Shed Theatre in Southgate stole a show on Britain's Got Talent, receiving a golden buzzer from Judge Alicia Dixon after moving her to tears. An inclusive cast aged from 5 to 37 filled the stage with an uplifting three-and-a-half-minute performance featuring rapping, singing and dancing that had the audience and judges on their feet with a standing ovation. The golden buzzer means Chicken Shed now skipped past the boot camp stage of the competition, sending them straight through to the live shows still to come. There, what about that? We have reached the end of our programme for this week. Thank you for listening. So from the team of Group D and Hass on the controls, it's... Bye. Bye. Please remember to turn over the address label in your postal packet, put the memory stick into the packet in a closed position and return it to us as soon as possible in readiness for the next edition. You can now also listen to our podcast by searching for Enfield Talking Newspaper on your favourite podcast app or listen to us on your smart speaker by saying play podcast Enfield Talking Newspaper. Don't forget you can call Diane to Jersey regarding any help you may require in connection with Enfield Talking Newspaper on 07899-854-582. The Enfield Talking Newspaper will be with you again in one week's time.